Welcome to Cultivate the Ordinary Podcast, curious conversations for the anxious, frustrated, dejected, and bored. I'm Travis. And I'm Jesse. So often, we're held captive by screens, schedules, and media that's mind-numbing and polarizing. This leaves us seeing dimly through a fog. We want to spark more imagination and a better awareness of God's presence in the everyday. Join us on a fun journey of discovery and curiosity as we look at the ordinary through the lenses of joy, wonder, beauty, and hope. Hey everybody, we are back with another episode and we are excited to talk about uh, part two of our two-part series on conflict and connection. So today we're going to talk about cultivating connection um, and in last, the last episode, we, we kind of covered our four values of joy, tears, beauty, and hope. And uh, last time we talked about the tears. Today we're going to talk about the beauty, the beauty of restoration, um, what it looks like to repair, attune, uh, things like that. So we also discussed in last episode, so if you didn't listen to it, check it out, um, the idea that we all come into marriage and conflict with stories. And those stories, we kind of boil down to three main things, stress stories, attachment stories, and personality stories. So um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And uh, I was thinking back on the last episode, what we were talking about, and I had forgotten there was something I was going to say in that one, um, having to do with kind of conflict and marriage fights. If you've never heard the comedian Nate Bargatze, you have to do so. I think he's got stuff on Netflix and obviously YouTube. But he's a great bit, super hilarious on marriage arguments. Um, and I'll have that in the show notes. But And he talks about like how this dynamic of what happens when you have the, kind of give each other the silent treatment. <laughs> and, you know, some couples that can be long and whatever and some don't really have that but like him and his wife have major bouts of the silent treatment like he said they fought over chocolate milk i think and had like a 24-hour episode of not talking (laughs) but what's funny is he talks about though in that silent treatment trying to like figure out how to navigate being in the house together and both feeling hurt or um whatever you know let down with the other person you kind of have this built-in kind of resentment residing you don't know how to kind of handle that Mm -hmm. and um but he talks about awkwardly passing each other in the house in those moments and then there's a time where he talks about she's watching tv and he isn't sure if she's really watching or not so he grabs the remote and is like ma'am are you watching this (laughs) and because almost like you do you even say the wife's name i mean it's like yeah you're like can't in a, address you by name. It's like you're in character in the fight. So that, anyway, we didn't even talk about being in character in a fight. So, oh man, yeah, characters in the story. Right? Yeah. So today we're talking about you know beauty and connection and restoration, you know, within our brokenness and brokenness in relationships. Before we get into more of that, just are you where are you seeing beauty right now? Right where have now. you seen beauty lately? Um, in anything well we just got back from tennessee right with all five of our kids um we went out to our property in newport and um just did some work and sat and watched the sun go down over 
our mountain view and, you know, got to build some massive bonfires. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the most beautiful thing for me, as much as I, I think my whole family is beautiful, is, is really, I mean, I think watching, <laughs> watching you build a fire and then step back and, like, look into this, like, roaring fire and stand there as it's, like, up to your chest. <laughs> um, and close to the beard, which we've talked right. about is getting longer. Right. So it's yeah, you get a fire hazard. It's not with the beard maintenance. It's getting too close to the bonfire. <laughs> but you're but seeing beauty in the, the beauty... glow of my beard by the fire? <laughs> Or the glow of my face? It's the bonfire eyes. The eyes. Like, you okay. know, the, the book that you wrote about bonfire eyes. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, the when you do take the time mm-hmm. and just rest and you're present, you're still because you're so full of energy all the yeah. time. And, you know, just standing still and staring into a fire is, like, yeah. it's really beautiful. Oh. So... I love it. Yeah. I bet you weren't expecting the answer. Um, no, I mean, but that I'm beautiful besides a bonfire is... Yeah. Besides, I, mean, I mean, yeah, you're beautiful all around. Mostly but... by a fire, though. <laughs> well, there's a lot of darkness. If, or... you, if you make me mad, I'll just push. Okay. Well, <laughs> probably come close a few times, but... No, I'm with you just every time we're out there. East Tennessee, you know, not far from Gatlinburg and that whole scene. And uh, between Asheville and Knoxville is just beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. so it's very restorative for the soul yep so well so when you know we're, we're talking about restoration and um connection mm-hmm. you know do you remember a time when we first began engaging this type of work together i mean i have a memory of yeah going back uh I don't know, 2009, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. or seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. In St. Louis, though, but we were re- leading a small group, community group, through our church. And um, it, there was a lot of people kind of in that 20s, 20s and 30s kind of age with, you know, young families and, you know, just kind of navigating marriage and being young. And I remember that uh, there was a couple in the group that, uh, had just talked about this really formative thing for their marriage where they would meet, they called it marriage accountability groups. Mm-hmm. And it was just this uh, kind of venue where they would meet with a few other couples that they were close with. And, you know, everyone felt free and safe to share things about their marriages, but also really trusting that what they're sharing um, people are responding to. So you're giving, so basically the idea was that coming together and then, you know, sharing just difficult struggles um, or, you know, cool things too. But, but oftentimes, you know, what, what are hard hurdles right now as a couple you're facing, not just like hard things in life, but maybe some kind of relational hurdle, a dynamic in communication, something. And the, the idea was that then other couples would listen and then kind of respond into that. And then people would take turns. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so I was, like, kind of intrigued by that. And, like, oh, man, that seems like that could be risky. You know, kind of cool, but, like, yeah. How, vulnerable. How, vulnerable and how well would that work? And, anyway, we we started to do some of those. And, yeah, you can speak about what you thought. But it was just, like, 
I was real. I always loved how, you know, it's like sometimes we can often hear from someone else who's not our spouse or hear that someone else is going through something similar and can relate. But like, I would often hear better maybe from someone else's wife that, that might, you know, in a loving way, but kind of challenge me to like, Hey, well, you know, did you think about though, when you say it this way to Jesse, how that can make her feel or think mm-hmm. or whatever. And so just feeling like we'd hear it better. Yeah. So anyway, that was well, I think that cool the, tool. The recipe of that, like shared accountability of working through, um, you know, past conflicts or, or, you know, pattern conflicts with others, you're kind of in this place where you have to be receptive. Mm -hmm. Like you're putting yourself into a position where you have to listen and accept feedback and, you know, and just perspective. Um, and, and that sort of forced environment gives you that it gives you, I think, perspective Mm -hmm. and, um, the vulnerability says like, I'm not trying to pretend that I got it all together. Like I'm telling you a story yeah. where it was kind of falling apart, you know? And right. so, yeah, that was a really powerful experience for both of us. Um, 12 years ago yeah. when we started this type of work and just fell in love with uh, kind of group work that's deeper. Mm-hmm. We, we did several different experiences like that. Yeah. Um, through the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do you feel like kind of is needed for to cultivate life and growth in and connection mm-hmm. in, in marriage? I think what we need is softness, depth, and space. John Ortberg, who's a pastor and has written extensively on caring for the soul, in his book Soul Keeping, references the parable of the sower with Jesus in Matthew 13, 3 through 9. Um in talking about the soul and how our souls need to take root in good soil. And like Jesus talked about when he's talking about how we hear the gospel and he's portraying the different ways our hearts come to hear the gospel, they can be in places of hardness, shallowness, and being cluttered. And, you know, the seed, the message just can't take root. It can't grow there. And I think like Orberg is onto something too when he's talking about how we cultivate our souls, and also needing those very things as well to flourish and to to grow in. And so relationally, as being in a marriage and being in a union, our souls do mysteriously kind of you know we join. You know we still have distinct separate souls, but there's a union that happens in our relationship that I guess is part of all this as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea that, that our marriage kind of has a soul of its own, you know, because we are one, right? Yeah. So what makes our relationships hard, shallow, or cluttered? Um, yeah, I guess I think about, you know, the hardness of the soil that he talks about in the parable and what it feels like to have bitterness take root and resentments and, um, kind of just callousness to one another, disconnection, um, that that part of the soul, like of our marriage really needs softness, softness of mind, softness of heart, just that, um, willingness to put down our guard and not be so self-protective. Um, and then the shallowness, I think, you know, some couples, 
um, just don't want to talk about the deeper things. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I kind of fight through that and like really do engage that most of the time. And that's where conflict can happen. You know, the reality is, is if you are more of the conflict minimizer type, right. you might not want to go, go to the depths because that's yeah. where some pain is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when people are kind of in the shallows, you know, they need some, some depths going down deeper because then you rise up. Mm-hmm. On the other side, I, th- I believe. Yeah. Um, and then the cluttered kind of state is just is busyness, I think. You know, n- nobody has any margin for date nights and connection. And, you know, when you, you can't create space mm-hmm. in your days to, like, take a moment with one another, to face each other, to have a conversation, like, it's too cluttered. Your life is too cluttered. So... Yeah, I love that. You know, when he talked about the fourth, you know, the, there's that fourth type of soil in the parable of the sower, the good soil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's the the soil that has the softness, depth, and space. And so, um, yeah. you know, in our conversations, that looks like building security and connection mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, Dallas Willard has a great quote um, about, I think specifically that last one, the cluttered soul, but really all of them, you know, um, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life in order to be spiritually healthy, but I think healthy in marriage too. Mm -hmm. Man, I really love that quote. Love Dallas Willard. Really love him. The divine conspiracy. So um, how, how does... How does that actually look, though? Do you how, what does it look like to ruthlessly eliminate hurry? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just as a starting place, some things I think about are, you know, we talked about last time what it looks like to have a self-regulating resource. You know, if you're stressed out and you're, you know, moving too fast, and um, you might have a little anxiety going on. Um, the best way to be more present and to stop hurrying is just taking a deep breath, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not just one, maybe 10, but slowing your breathing. Um, you know, there's this practice of, um, orienting that I talk to people about sometimes where it's just, you're sitting and you're noticing the things in your space and you're not in your head. You know, think about how many times you're hurried, but you're not actually accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you sit and you notice the things going on around you, the bird outside or, you know, something your child is doing, you know, you're aware of yourself breathing, you're aware of the temperature of the room, things like that. You become more calm just naturally. Right. You're, it's, you're orienting, grounding whatever you want to call it. Um, and that makes you feel less hurried and more aware of what you need to pay attention to, what's important. Um, and sometimes that's connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other things that I think about um, singing, humming. A lot of people like that. They don't make time for it when they're hurried. Uh, <laughs> like that? Um, more like Trappist. What does humming... 
What's it doing? Well, it regulates your vagus nerve. Like, you know, your vagus nerve is goes from your brain all the way down to your stomach, and, and it's responsible for fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And when you're stressed out and hurrying... So by times, activating that nerve, mm-hmm. by humming, by just... Yeah. But, like, some people don't want to hum because they feel like it's weird. So, like, singing does the same like thing. Uh, <laughs> Yawning. Yawning singing. calms you down, mm. for sure. So, like, forced yawning? Like, like going you th- can force a yawn, but when somebody's stressed out and sympathetic, they don't naturally yawn. Mm. Did you ever know that? No. Nope. Yeah, so forcing a yawn will, will calm you down. You can watch um, yawning videos because doesn't that just trigger <laughs> it's contagious. yawning? Yeah, it makes but you like... yawn. But yeah, those are like little um, tools like that that can get you to feel less hurried mm-hmm. and be more present. Um, and then yeah, just being aware that you're hurried, telling yourself I need to yeah. create space to not not be moving so fast and connect with right. my spouse. You know. I have very little comments on this because it is like my biggest struggle. The hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just like constant motion. Yeah. Action. And just. Well, tell me then, what does it feel like when you intentionally, you know, because it's effortful for you, but when you sit down and you try one of these things, Mm -hmm. like, what is it? What does it do for you? Well, I think like I feel that it either like I like I know what's good and needed. And so there's times where doing that and whether it's focusing on a scene in nature or um, maybe it's a, a a quote that I'm, you know, kind of just thinking about and just kind of reflecting. Maybe it's a passage in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love how it does ground me and slows me and makes me feel like I am present. I'm present in this moment. I'm present in the world. And I'm here, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I think it can also, so it can be calming that way. And then I think there's the times where a lot of people probably relate to like, I, I, I'm scared of the thoughts I'm going to sit with if I get too calm, if Mm -hmm. I get to that place of presence, like maybe it's racing thoughts. I can struggle with OCD. And so I think that's part of my game as a strategy is why I'm almost trying to outpace the thoughts, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, you have to confront your fears, your anxieties, your, mm-hmm. right? So like, right. how do you, what would you say to someone that's like, okay, I love this. I need to slow down. I want to be present. But I also feel sometimes when I'm doing that, I'm, I'm kind of scared with just being me in my mind. Mm, that's very valid. And I think that that is something that, you know, we all kind of have to grapple with. Like when we get still, and the beauty of it that I've found, and I think you have too, you know, experienced is that when you slow down and you are aware of the presence of God mm-hmm. in those moments, you, it's like you see his gaze upon you and you feel attuned with because you're, you know, facing your anxieties, you're, you're right. slowing your pace to be present with the God that's always present with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as much as it is, you know, a scary place to, to force yourself to do mm-hmm. that, remembering he meets you there. Right. That's true. And then the, 
the cool part that I've just seen like with you is, is when you do slow down and you get present and you spend some, we call soul, soul care time, Mm -hmm. um, with God, you come back and it's like your eyes have changed. Like you will look at me and your eyes aren't darting to the next thing. You know, it's like, you'll actually make eye contact and like stare at me for a little while Mm -hmm. because you're present and that's connection, you know, and I see the change Mm -hmm. when you, um, eliminate hurry. So to summarize kind of what we've talked about so far on cultivating connection and kind of creating these new spaces and rhythms in life, going back to Orberg's softness, depth, and space, you know, creating softness where we're open and curious as we relate to one another. And I think that gets rid of some of the resentment and sort of some of the, especially I'm prone to um, making a lot of assumptions and, and going with my gut and thinking that my gut is, you know, the arbiter of truth or reading reality right. And often I'm wrong, but it's so quick for me to want to do that. So I think that creating that softness is a, is a great place in our marriage. The depth part is huge. Like, again, I, I think it has to do with space as well. You know, it's uh, to contemplate, to think, to consider, um, considering, you know, again, this kind of is back with assumptions about what might my spouse really have been thinking here? You know, I thought this, but, um, yeah. Like when, you know, just even considering feedback as we like yeah. discuss ways that we can meet each other's needs better and stuff right. like that. Yeah. And that, that depth space is more connecting with the heart. So, and then the last one is, is space itself. And that's back to these kind of things like margin and rhythms and habits and really trying to pivot into implementing rhythms together. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's great. We do need personal things and rhythms and all of that. But if we're not also doing those things as a couple, um, I think some of the best growth that's going to happen when you say is happening together. Like if you're growing individually, I'm growing and that's true. Like Mm -hmm. we can grow, you know, and then we're just just coming back together and it's like, still, it's more of like, so yeah, just sharing like the ways that God is growing us with one another helps us actually like grow each other because like mm-hmm. I hear how God's growing you and like it's actually helping me and then right. vice versa. Right. So that's great. We're just also mm-hmm. saying trying to also work on r- together rhythms. Right. Um, yeah. Like practices and things like yeah. that that help us connect for sure. Yeah. So, like, for us, real quick, an example of that, and, you know, it doesn't come all the time, but, yeah, for mornings before work and all that stuff for us, that cup of coffee and trying to create that space to connect. Sometimes it's listening to, you know, a short, something inspirational. Um, oh, yeah. John Eldridge has, and, you know, some people know, like, Wild at Heart, that, that author. Um, he's a Christian therapist, and he has this app called Pause, mm-hmm. um, One Minute Pause. And he also has some other, you know, settings in there, like a resilience program and stuff like that. Right. Excellent. Like mm-hmm. morning, it's just like 10 mm-hmm. minutes. That's it. Yeah. And it's got like music and visuals and like, mm-hmm. it just is very grounding, like for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be fairly quick too, if you don't have much time. So, mm-hmm. all right. So let's move on to the kind of the second half as we start getting to where we're going with the rest of this and Mm -hmm. we're kind of talking more also than about connection 
So yeah. what what is secure connection, and what does it look like? What is yeah. What is that? Well, a friend of mine, Sarah McCrory, she's a um, counselor in Montgomery, Alabama, and um, she shared with me like really easy to remember four skills for secure attachment. If you are in secure attachment, you know how to give care, receive care, you know how to effectively negotiate your needs, and you know that your voice matters. Those four skills, if you're practicing all four of them, you're in secure attachment. If any one of those things is not going well, you, you have some insecurities mm-hmm. in your in your closest relationship. Um, you know, in today's conversation, we're talking about marriage, but I mean, we have other close relationships where attachment like does impact that right. connection. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've been on this journey for a couple of years now, like really trying to understand how to grow in secure attachment. Like, what do you think, what are some of your thoughts on that? Okay. So I don't know much about it, but one of the things I think is in the ballpark of this that I feel like has been helpful is this idea of being attuning attunement, Mm -hmm. which was a whole new kind of concept and idea for me until recently. But that idea, so we were at a marriage conference one time, Jess and I in Colorado and the one takeaway, because all I was, I, I feel like I was staring out the window just looking at the Rockies, the snow-capped Rockies, <laughs> and then waiting for the next break to get coffee and donuts and stuff. <laughs> but, like any guy out there, no. Um, but the, but, but it was good. It was good. But one strong takeaway I remember was the, um, he said that, and it at this point he was talking about like parenting strategies and and parenting our kids. And, um, he talked about how, you know, we're going to continue to say things at times out of anger or, you know, the way we relate or, you know, all this kind of stuff, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to still do things that we're like, that wasn't, I should have done that better. I can't believe I said it that way. You know, I took a situation now I might've hurt their feelings, you know, something came, but he said, it, that's not, it, don't get so caught up in that as much as seek to attune, seek, to, so attune to repair and go back. And when kids, our kids, our spouses too, but in this case, it was kids, hear us go back and say, look, you know, the way I said that, you know, and I was way too angry, I, I didn't handle that right. I said it this way, it, that repair shows that our kids can see a that we're modeling hey i screwed up and modeling you know just even asking forgiveness but also that they can see that you care so deeply of what you might have done in your response that you're going back to sort of either make amends or just talk about it so and reconnect and reconnect and i that takeaway for me was so huge i think of that a lot and i've and i last part of this is Every single time I've ever seen myself do that, and I try to do it regularly, and I need to do it all the time because I'm, I, I am, got reactive and saying things almost first and then thinking later, right? And so I, but every single time, every one of my kids, and you, but it just there's this like, you can just see this connection happening in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, and then often it ends with a yeah. full house style hug (laughs) 
everyone, everything is hooking. Everyone in the living room. Just... And all wrongs are righted, yeah. and it's perfect. No. Um, but I, I, in all honesty, though, that when that, that experience from my end is just when you attune, it's like saying you matter. Mm-hmm. You matter. You matter. Yep. I, yeah. And I see you. I mm-hmm. see you, so I'm coming back for you. Right. Yeah. And I didn't see you earlier. Which... And that's really what's happening a lot. I didn't, for me, I didn't see you or I saw you as a problem or I saw you as something to solve, but I did not see you as the person, as the mm-hmm. beloved, as my son, who I love. My and heart. That's connecting to your heart. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's unpack for a second what a tune is. The acronym, I think, did you allude to that there's an acronym, A-T-T-U. And E, and so the A is awareness, just really paying attention to what you're mm-hmm. doing, and um, what you're feeling, how you're communicating, maybe some of your nonverbals. All of it is communication, and then tolerance. You know, having a growing kind of sometimes we talk about window of tolerance or like that this this ability to tolerate disturbances and conflicts and right. things like that and just calm yourself in that mm-hmm. growing your tolerance um john gottman talks about turning towards movements um in fact this this whole acronym is from john gottman um who's a marriage researcher and um and so turning towards emotion, like when there's disconnection or there's been a, a rupture, you know, some sort of conflict, you know, when you look in their eyes and you are able to turn towards them, mm-hmm. um, maybe for their, for their, their wanting connection and you're, you're reestablishing that that's, it's vitally important to not like have your back turned to somebody right. when you're trying to demonstrate that you care about them. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Um, so the you is understanding you're seeking to like you're listening right mm-hmm. so you are, are are listening to understand not to speak right um is part of attunement and non-defensive listening is the end um that that really guarding like putting down those defenses and the protective mechanisms and mm-hmm. not being ready to respond or to fight or, but just still part of that listening, you know? Um, and then the E is for empathy. Hmm. So empathy is just, it's deeper than understanding or hearing somebody. It's actually being willing to put on their lens, see things the way they see it, feel Mm -hmm. things that they're sort of feeling and know that doesn't mean it's all true, but you care Mm -hmm. and you, are empathizing with their experience right you know so all of that's attunement yeah yeah it's great stuff on that note the former president of yale james angel was asked how he lasted at yale for 16 years as a successful president and his line was grow antenna not horns and i love that because it's just, yeah, it's this idea that are we listening? Like, how well are we listening? Mm-hmm. And the power of listening. 
Yeah. And what that does for us. Well, and actually what it made me think about wasn't listening, but sensing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are we sensing and, but yeah, listening to mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. 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 But anyway, it's just a, a simple thing to think of. Grow antenna, not horns. Mm, that's good. So uh, th- there's one tool that we, we, we're trying to use kind of daily when we can. Um, it really, it's a, it's effective, practical way to kind of frame your day, frame kind of maybe misunderstandings, uh, hear and receive feedback and give feedback. But what would you say? It's kind of promoting like better listening then better, um, way to, how, yes, how would you building trust, that? circling back to conflict. Yeah. That so, sort of thing. yep. So it's called the bullseye tool developed by Dr. Wyatt Fisher to learn how to give and receive feedback, build trust and resilience in conflict. So just explain, yeah, what we do on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's real simple and we use it like at bedtime. Um, but, and we'll just, one of us will be like, let's do the bullseye tool. Um, super cheesy idea, but, but the reality is, is it's, it's, it's really helpful and all it is, is what's one thing I did well today and what's one thing I could have done better. And I'm asking him and he's giving me feedback and my practice is listening and receiving the feedback and all I can say, I can't argue it. I can't, um, over explain what I was thinking or why I did what I did or, or anything. I just thank you for the feedback. Like, and I, and I'm committing to consider it. So what I, and I think like a lot of us don't feel heard. We go through our days and feel like whatever, whenever I'm saying, you know, she, she, you know, undermines what I'm saying or minimizes it or vice versa. And I guess for me, it feels like it's a way to kind of now does it sometimes is it feeling like forced compassion like or forced empathy like because of the tool itself oh it's totally forced well it is totally forced but i'm (laughs) saying like you know if you're listening well what's the point because yeah like is it artificial because i I can play the game because the reality is is you have to search your day and think of interactions with one another and what's something that you did well because we're each better at one over the other, mm-hmm. you know, like I think you tend towards seeing like all the things that go well. And I tend towards seeing all the things that, you know, could have been better. <laughs> like Yeah, I have to hold you to pick one thing I could have done better here. Let's, like, let's... <laughs> and that's the rule. It's just one. You just one thing for each. And so yeah. it's not like this big thing, like open up in a can, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I guess I do feel like while it's it's a tool that kind of gives you a framework like this is what you have to say you know in, in these parameters mm-hmm. it does to me it does feel like it is growing sort of a sense of listening mm-hmm. and seeking to understand here and yeah. not just also be quick to like respond well but this is why i did that well and you get to bring up the feedback usually in a time that's calm and like yeah. it didn't just happen right. it's like that's, later that's the your key. circle back to it space to Exactly. When those things happen. Yeah. You're less triggered because you're bringing it up and it's like, we've agreed, like we're doing this tool. So like, it's non-threatening and mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, yeah. Hey, this is, I would have preferred that you maybe had spoken to me in this way instead mm-hmm. in yep. this situation that would have felt better. And right. and all you say is. Yes, ma'am. No. <laughs> what? 
Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the feedback. <laughs> so one last kind of exercise that um, we try to practice um, that I, you know, use with clients and things like that, um, that I've picked up along the way is called the three minute exercise. And all that really is, is active listening. Um, the, the practice of doing that is effort. You know, it's not something that we want to do when we're in conflict, but, um, so you have a speaker and you have a listener. And so all you got to do is say, Hey, can we do the three minute exercise? If you need to verbally process something and share concerns or share frustrations, whether it's about the other person, whether it's just about your crappy day, like you just want a listener. That's it. You don't want Mm -hmm. them to fix it, whatever. Um, stereotypically that's like the woman, but that's not always the case. Like Mm -hmm. I know a handful of guys who really like to process and, you know, maybe the wife is just a little less, um, about processing. Um, so you have the speaker and the listener, the speaker has three minutes. They have to stop There's one of those things that they're using restraint to not just keep going. Um, Maybe it's a concern that you have with your spouse and you're not going to just keep beating a dead horse. You're not going to like run over them with 12 things. The listener is trying to actively listen and use restraint by not talking back, not being defensive, not arguing it, but really hearing, right? If at the end of three minutes, the listener wants to have three minutes for them to talk, the goal isn't arguing. The goal is processing Mm -hmm. and seeing things from each other's perspectives. So that's just another helpful um, way to engage kind of a safe, boundaried um, way of communicating. And we do not practice it well, even 50% of the time. But when we have... The reality is, is that we can be witnesses to the fact that when we have practiced it and we use these tools effectively, like they work and they really do create some safety and some boundaries around, um, you know, talking about mm-hmm. what's, what's hard. Yeah. Going to the depths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I will just say though, if you're in a space where you're facing some significant conflicts and you just need some extra support, you need you know, kind of a coach or somebody to kind of navigate through personality stories, maybe stress stories or um, attachment issues. Um, Either of us would be happy to speak with you. You just reach out to us um, or you can go to our website, guidedpace.com. We're also going to be starting our another installment of Enneagram and Marriage Group using the personality tool of the Enneagram and kind of as a lens to look at some of our behavioral patterns and motivations to see the world. So if that interests you at all, um, we'll have more information on our website at guidedpace.com. So Trav, when you think about all this work, you know, we've named several exercises and practices and tools and and things that are going to help cultivate the connection um, in marriage. And, And I know you've been part of all this, you know, you've kind of gotten your feet wet a little bit. And we've been doing this together, um, not perfectly, but just... Well, I've gotten soaked. <laughs> um, what about all of this work, in quotation quotes, air quotes, <laughs> um, makes it worth it for the long run for you? I think that 
it's cliche, but anything worth doing is worth doing right. This is right. This is what we're called to do. We're called in our marriages. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to lay our lives down for the other. We're called to serve, to give. We, as you alluded to earlier, we are not alone. We have the hope that Jesus is joining us in the deepest, darkest shadows when we call on him. And sometimes our, our, our greatest act, our greatest moment that hope can shine is simply a prayer in the darkness. Hmm. We need you. You know, we, we, and things can be turned around. I mean, like forgiveness can happen. It's not minimizing, you know, hard struggles that need professional counseling and, and, and things like that. And all the complexities around, you know, some really traumatic relationships, but it is worth the work Mm -hmm. to, to, to hang in there, to keep going. Well, and I heard recently, too, just was reminded that God's not pleased with the product that we are becoming as much as he's pleased with the process of us us becoming. You know, and I was reminded of that whole Henry Nouwen, the becoming the beloved, and that our awareness and our attention on how much he loves us always, you know, is that process. Mm -hmm. And if we feel that, then we're secure and we can show up. And connect and do the work and it's it's not as hard right you know when we know we're not having to give each other value mm-hmm. but we're valuable as is right yeah i just wanted to share as we wrap up um a quote by the authors of a book called how we love and i'm going to butcher his name but it's milan yurkovich <laughs> um, but it's a beautiful mm-hmm. book about attachment and it says We are not born knowing how to understand and express what's inside our souls. That kind of knowing ourselves requires contemplation and reflection. We have to learn to notice and be aware of our internal experiences, to search our hearts and find words for what is inside us. Being fully known and understood requires that we say out loud to someone else what is going on within our souls. Wow, what is going on within our souls? That is a great quote. Yeah, and I, yeah, the the reality is is you know just being able to attune and listen to one another, and because we've spent that time unhurried, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. then we can share it. Mm. Awesome. Thanks for joining our conversation today. We really appreciate your support. If you like the podcast, you can help more people find it by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review if you're so kind. Hope you're having an awesome day. Until next time, keep cultivating the ordinary.